For those of us living among other people, which is basically all of us, unless you're a total hermit, it's natural to look around and notice other people. We notice how they act, how they look, what kind of car they drive, where they went on vacation recently, and many other aspects about them. This is something called social comparison, but it has both negative and positive outcomes for us, and it's both amplified and distorted by the world of social media. It's something that happens so naturally that many of us may not realize that it's happening, but we should. In this episode, we discuss. Welcome to the Indigo Podcast, an exploration of human flourishing at work and beyond. I'm Ben Barron of Indigo Anchor and Cleveland State University. And I'm Chris Everett of Indigo Anchor. For more information, please visit us at www.indigopodcast.com. We discuss keeping up with the Joneses. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So today we're going to talk about what social comparison is, how social comparison works, and some of its outcomes. And of course, we're going to talk about some implications for people, leaders, and organizations. Yeah, so I get a little triggered by this topic, Ben. Yeah, I noticed it, when we were prepping for it. Yeah, because I remember back Back when I was a kid, there was this thing where Ozzy Osbourne was going to lead all the children of the world, Pied Piper style, straight to Hades, right? And now you look at him, he can't even cross the street. You know, Sharon, what on, Sharon. What, on, what on earth does that have to do with social comparison, Chris? Oh, another thing, Dungeons and Dragons. All of a sudden, demons were going to grab hold of your kids. This is a case of parents freaking out, Right. And so, like, a lot of the literature that we looked at, right, had this stuff about, oh, my gosh, what are kids getting into online? I mean, we just survived the Tide Pod challenge, and now we've got Insta Facebook, you know, and 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 Bookface Twittergram. <laughs> like, uh, right? You can see the parents. At least I so, talk so to what you're, what you're Okay, so just to kind of cut through the, the machinations of your brain, what I think you're trying <laughs> to say here, Chris, is that you're suggesting that some of the discussion around social comparison and the negative effects of social media among youth is a moral panic type of situation akin to some of the stuff we th went through as kids with maybe, uh, you know... Twisted sister testifying before tipper gore that's so, right is, okay well we're not just, we're not only talking about kids here today we're not only talking about facebook and and the insta insta twitter grams but that's kind of where it started right we're worried about i mean i have two daughters i worry about any parent and we should worry. and we should and, and we should that's that's doing the right job but we don't want to lose our minds about it we want to be rational so right. we can respond appropriately beep Beep, beep. Let's back the truck up here and <laughs> let's talk about what social comparison even is. So first of all, social comparison quite simply is when we as humans, we have this desire, we have this uh, need perhaps to uh, want to understand how our abilities and opinions stack up with those around us, right? So we compare ourselves. And this goes way back to the word from... Uh, Leon Fessinger, who uh, was a psychologist, he had you know his paper back in 1954, I think it was, A Theory of Social Comparison. And then researchers have, have looked into this for a number of years, right? Almost 70 years since then. And uh, by the way, in the show notes, we have a number of good articles that you should check out if you really want to do a deep dive into this. Um, but it's basically that. It's that 
this phenomenon in which we like to compare ourselves with other people. And this is natural, I think, from a, from a number of standpoints, but one being that we, we're, we're always trying to make sense of the world. And when we are in just going through the world, one way in which we sometimes do that is by seeing, hey, well, what is everybody else doing? And how do I compare with that? So that's one aspect of it. It's not necessarily bad. It's not necessarily good. And we're going to get into that a little bit. Right. So, you know, the Facebook files, there's so many files, the Panama Papers, the Facebook files, right? We had some people at Facebook that were really concerned about the data showing increasing amounts of teenager depression from using Instagram and other, you know, Facebook owned services. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people would ask about that. Facebook would kind of do the glaze over. But some people actually came in and did some, I don't know, and we wouldn't really call it whistleblowing, but, oh, by the way, this is what's really going on on the hood over at Facebook. And of course, you know, there's a big to-do, you know, I don't know how many times poor Zuckerberg has had to go testify in front of lawmakers over in Washington. Well, first of all, I, I wouldn't call Zuckerberg poor by any stretch. Either I, I, don't, I don't feel sorry for him, and he's definitely not poor. Well, I, let me tell you why I feel sorry for Zuckerberg. I remember tuning in. I had a break from work, so I tuned in. And, and there's some representative that was saying, so wait a minute. You take our information and use that to serve us ad, ads? That's what you do on Facebook? Uh, yes, Senator. That's, that's how our platform works. So I did feel bad yeah, for him. Yeah, I, I don't feel moments. bad for him. Yeah, maybe he's, <laughs> he's dealing with some people who don't know what he does for a living, but you know, I, I still don't feel bad for him. But the thing is with social comparison, again, it's not just about social media, even though we'll talk about how that does amplify and distort kind of our comparison sets that we have out there. But I think what's important to think about is, you know, who are you comparing yourself with, right? So we talk about what social comparison is. Well, who are you comparing yourself with? We can call these different comparison sets. So, for example, uh, you might compare yourself with your spouse, with your friend. Maybe it's your neighbor. Uh, maybe it's just your colleagues at work. You might compare yourself with people who you consider to be your peers, you know, on the basis of their age, maybe their education, uh, where they are in their career, other criteria you, that you may come up with. You may even compare yourself with some idealized version of yourself, right? This is who, who I should be. and. And that's another kind of way that we can do this. We may compare ourselves with just people we kind of know, right? Those friends of friends. We may even go so far as to compare ourselves with people we don't even know, right? The, the celebrities, other people out, out there that have a public presence or persona that we learn a little bit about and then start comparing ourselves with that person. So we do this, I think, fairly naturally, and we do it a, a lot with these different sets of people. Yeah, the looking around is is good and bad, and, and, and we'll yeah. get into that. But one of the things about social media that makes us kind of pernicious is that all of social media is super curated. Right. Like, nobody puts their phone on take a random pictured mode. You know, it's like, ah, looking through my pictures, I've got 20 pictures of some pocket lint and five of, like, the side of my burrito, Right. Like the people say, hey, something's happening. Let's take a picture, right? And then we got filters and all this stuff. But then watching some of the behaviors listed from some of the surveys around what going, what, how people go, hey, I want to look good. 
And let me read this quote from this New York Times article here. Uh, This is about women sharing on social media. And I quote, this is the paradox women face on social media. Share enough highs to seem well-adjusted, but not braggy. Share enough lows to seem down to earth, but not suicidal. And share enough unfiltered moments to seem human, but not unattractive. So this, this is a, this is not a picture of reality. This is deliberately, and it should be curated because we don't want pictures like 20 pictures of pocket (laughs) lint in my Facebook feed. Right. So we compare ourselves with people, you know, IRL in real life, but we also do it through social media. And I think particularly it it is, um, you know, maybe when we're more isolated, right? If you're, if you've been less around people in real life, you're doing this even more perhaps on, uh, on social media platforms. And then just with the overall growth of social media as part of what we consume information wise, but you're right. It is a curated version of, of everyone's existence. And, you know, you could argue that everyone is presenting something that is a little bit curated, right? But on social media, it takes it to another level. I think we could safely suggest that uh, because we don't post pictures of things that are, you know, going horribly or just things where we look really bad a lot, right? Um, you know, it's like, even if you're going, one thing you talked about, you brought up, I that was really great. was like, you know, even the the no makeup look takes a lot of time to make, right? If you're, if, if you're kind of going for that look, um, apparently that's a thing. Yeah. I, the, I just got out of bed and I'm breezy and my kids are doing the dishes magically look, hmm. you know, and there's this whole thing of like blogs, lifestyle blogs. Look, look at my truck and overlanding equipment or my mommy lifestyle blog. Every day I make my child's octopuses or hot dogs look like little octopuses. You know, these kinds of things create this kinds of sense and longing for stuff that we don't have. Lifestyle aspiration. This is marketing 101. And it's almost cute to remember the days when I'm concerned about Teen Vogue. Why? It's creating unrealistic expectations for women, right? And there's men's, men have GQ magazines and stuff, but I remember that being a big thing. But now it's funny, the magazines are pretty much dead. And who's making the aspirational, unrealistic content? We're gosh darn doing it ourselves. <laughs> you know, we don't need That's an true. evil capitalist empire to sell us baloney. We're faking our own baloney and trying to pawn it off on our peers. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, we we also, when we compare ourselves with people we don't even know, you know, this is called a parasocial relationship. We imagine that we know what that person's really like and what they're going through. And, uh, you know, I, it can create some fairly unhealthy um, ways of thinking if you're always comparing yourself with an unrealistic presentation of life. So, you know, I, I think that kind of wraps up this, I guess, introductory piece about what social comparison is and kind of some ways in which we do it. Um, why don't we move now to talk about what, how this thing of social comparison kind of works and and some of the outcomes, because it, it can get kind of interesting. And I certainly encourage any of our listeners, if you're really interested, go into the show notes and check out uh, the various resources that we posted there, because you know you can really go into depth on this stuff. We're going to kind of scratch the surface uh, with some interesting pieces, but there is more. 
we are social animals, right? We don't, we don't just naturally get along either, right? Every, imagine a child that was never given input on its behavior. Now take 20 of those and put them in a room together and see if they can do anything. They can't. It's so important that we learn norms of behavior. And one of the ways we do that is look to the left. Well, is Billy sitting in his seat right now? I better sit down too, or I'm going to get in trouble with the teacher, right? <laughs> and so we, we, it's a not a net negative necessarily. Right. We got to compare ourselves because how do we know how we're doing as far as being a good teammate on a baseball team, right. being a good spouse or friend, right? How do we know if we need to continue honing a specific skill? Or that we're we can work on another skill because we're say already beyond our peers, right? Mm-hmm. That's right. So we we do this, and we it serves a purpose, you know, either for us to create norms of behavior for us to figure out how to act in social settings. But there are kind of two ways in which we can do this, um, and you can further kind of divide these up. But we'll we'll stick with these two. The first one is what we call an upward social comparison. This is when you start to compare yourself with those people who you believe are better than you in some way. And it could be that they are doing better, whatever that means, financially in life and education, or maybe they have some sort of skill, uh, some type of knowledge. Maybe it's just some sort of way in which they act that uh, you know you you aspire to, right? That's an upward social comparison. Now, we also, of course, can do a downward social comparison. This is where you compare yourself with someone who's doing worse off than you. Um, and, you know, this is something that people might engage in. And, uh, you know, one outcome of that could be that they feel kind of better about themselves because, hey, it's I'm, I'm not going through what this person is or I'm doing better than this this person with whom I'm comparing myself. So, Upward social comparison and downward social comparison. Um, so, you know, I think what's interesting to think about is kind of some different outcomes of this, some different ways in which you can, some positive and negative effects that can occur when you do this. So, for example, right, if you're doing an upward comparison, so you're comparing yourself with someone better than you in some way, a positive thing could be like, man, that's really inspiring, right? Um, you know, think about being around a bunch of friends who are are really working hard at something, um, you know, or are really just doing a good job with some aspect of their life. That could inspire you to raise your game, right? Uh, maybe give you some hope that you could do that too. Now, a negative effect, though, could be, you know, that you walk away feeling very dissatisfied with yourself, feeling a lot of envy. Right. So there's kind of two things that can happen there with that upward comparison. Yeah. I, so looking through all this material, I was like, wait a minute. Let's let's just find out how pernicious this is on an individual level. And I called some friends up. I said, listen, I'll never tell anybody, but tell me. And they're like, oh, yeah, I feel some of these ways. And I, I want to let you know. So like I live in Park City, Utah. Most people here are doing really well off. But one person was sharing a lot of the despondency that they felt around how well they were doing. Now, this person is probably in the top 5% of earners in the U.S. And, and it was like, man, dude, you're in Park City. You've already arrived. 
<laughs> right? Like you, you're in. Like I know you're not the one percent, but not everybody can be a Bezos with a rocket to the moon, right? You know, you're like you're. But this comparison was so acute because of the people he was around. He had a lot of that dissatisfaction mm. and envy for the people around not having that broader context. So if you sat him down, and I did, I said, man, like, look how successful you are. He's like, I know. I don't know why I just can't stop comparing us. Mm. And, and you know, it wasn't like, and he couldn't compare himself to say how somebody was doing that was in the 50th income percentile. So this affects everybody. This isn't, I, I don't think, I think it's dangerous that we say, well, people at the top aren't afflicted with the same kind of, you know, thought patterns that I'm. These can affect everybody. Absolutely. That's, that's a really great way to put it. You know, so in that case, this person making some potentially upward comparisons, but having these negative effects of dissatisfaction and envy. Now, we can also make those downward comparisons, right? And one positive effect of that could be a sense of gratitude, right? That, you know, I'm, I'm comparing myself with someone who's worse off and, you know, I feel grateful for what I do have. Now, a negative effect could be some scorn, right? Could be thinking, oh, you know, look at those people and, you know, they're, they're just in that situation because they're lazy or, or whatever, right? Um, and so there could be some negativity there. And I, I suppose maybe this is jumping a little bit to an implication, but I think that for people we should really be careful about and maybe just spend more time noticing what kinds of emotions we're having when we start doing those social comparisons. First of all, notice that you're doing it, right? And if it's not healthy or you're doing it in a way that isn't helpful, uh, you know, that's where you can start to readjust and reframe how you're thinking about it. Yeah, there's this idea of hostile comparison or benign. Now, thoughts, we can't really control our thoughts. And that was one of the things from the literature is some people may have some like personality or individual factors sure. about them that just make comparison on autopilot. Well, so we do know that there's a, uh, you know, what we call social comparison orientation, right? And people differ in this. It's an individual difference. Some people have more of an orientation toward social comparison. Some people have less of this. Right. And so, you know, if you're just wired this way, that's okay. There's no judgment. There's no hate. That can be benign if you keep it in your head and then use your thinking cap to make good decisions on right. how you behave to the people around you. Now, there can be hostile comparison where you take some of those negative effects and weaponize them. You know, let's say you're on the team with somebody and you're envious of the first person and you do a Nancy Kerrigan and, and break somebody's leg so they can't compete, right? Or, um, you know, some of those kinds of things that would drive aggressive hostile behavior towards somebody that's just not cool yeah. right that that's that's not cool <laughs> you you brought back a, a flashback from a, a soccer practice that i had in high school where i think i was maybe a i was probably a freshman or sophomore um definitely not a junior or senior but uh as it towards the end of practice and me and this other kid we were we were supposed to be sprinting we were like finishing up some laps around the field and we were sprinting and one of the upperclassmen didn't like the fact that we were sprinting you know, and making them look bad, he stuck out his leg and tripped us, right? 
And, you know, it's like... What a jack wagon! I know, I know. <laughs> Basically did exactly what you're talking about there. Didn't didn't hit us in the knee with a crowbar, but, you know, I was like, whoa. So, yeah, you got to be careful. And interesting stuff about, you know, that whole Kerrigan stuff that's out. Like, apparently they've moved on and had good lives and stuff. So there's redemption if you are one of those jack wagons. And, and you should head to the redemption door right now. But here's the thing. When we fill our minds, if we're susceptible to this. Now, the positive thing is social media doesn't affect everybody super, super negatively. They may have a flash of envy, but there's not this pernicious negative depression. Now, people that are like predisposed to depression or maybe mm -hmm. have some clinical depression stuff, this stuff can play a role now it's right just, it could it could exacerbate the the symptoms of whatever you're going through already right right but like msg is bad for some people but for those other of us who miss chinese food takeout with msg you know in south america you have msg salt it's not necessarily bad for everyone um so you know a lot of people unrealistic beauty standards well like even my kids know how to throw a filter on something now and understand that behind the curtain thing that they may not have understood in the eighties and nineties. But if you fill your mind with all this image imagery, right. And you're in a negative space, you might need to change your diet a little bit yeah. because what it becomes is just own mental Instagram. So even when you're not around people, say you go on a nature walk, you can't leave it behind. It's you're doom scrolling in your mind. Well, Frank got a promotion. I didn't. Look, Katie's kids are better behaved and actually better dressed. You know, look, their kids keep their socks on on the way to church. You know, <laughs> like all those things. You can doom loop yourself into not being satisfied with what is an amazing life that you're having right now. Absolutely. So let, we've talked about what social comparison is. We've talked about kind of how it works. Let's move now to some implications, because I think this is where it gets really important. And maybe we'll start with just kind of the individual level, not really thinking about, you know, business and organizations, really. But just as an individual, what does this mean? And I think one thing you just said is very important, and it's that you should be very careful. I think we all need to be increasingly cognizant and careful about the diet that we have when it comes to uh, con consumption of social media uh, and, and kind of how we engage with thinking when it comes to comparisons. Yeah, this is, and actually, because the web, right? A lot of people don't know that pornography and a lot of the technology that we have from the web comes from the adult industry, an industry that has baked in the worst kind of fantasy garbage ever imaginable. But it's not just imagery, guys. This is fake stories about how marriages and romantic relationships should work, right? How friendships should be. And if you have a bad mental model that's based off of curated baloney all from the web and you don't have enough evidence-based stuff, like from the literature, like there's good ways to have healthy dating relationships that don't devolve into like abusiveness or manipulation. Um, there's ways to have good friendships where you're not constantly jealous of each other or trying to one-up each other. If you buy into this landscape of, oh, look at my Insta, look at my Insta, how many followers you got, how many, how many likes, likes, 
all of a sudden you're missing out on the reality of another person sitting right across from you that you yeah. need. And so in a way, it's the pornification of all of this stuff. And the web's built on it. Now, we can use that for good, like sharing hilarious memes, um, sending an email or pictures of the grandkids to the grandparents, right? That's good. Another thing is finding, like, Ben, what were you talking about? There was a, one of the weightlifting forums, right? Like, you can get good lifting, like, how to lift weights or eat healthy. That's a good way. Using this information for good to push yourself and maybe even building a network of people not in your own hood, mm -hmm. like mentors, role models, those kinds of things. Sure, sure. Uh, I think the one key here is be careful about how you choose your comparison set. So we talked earlier about a comparison set and be careful who your comparison set is. Make sure it's some, some comparison set that is, that, uh, you know, maybe is a group that you aspire to become more like, right? You could use this natural urge that we have to compare ourselves as a way to make yourself better, right? Surround yourself with people who are living good lives. In an, when I say good life, what I think of is an ethical life, a life that is uh, giving to other people, that is um, reflective, uh, that is honest, like those types of things. Um, that's hardworking, right? Those types of things can then push you, <laughs> I think, to to act in better ways. Um, you become the people you're around, right? You know, I'm reminded of a, 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 I think Adam Grant, the the organizational psychologist. He's he's the most famous of us. Um, he he uh, and he deserves it. He's a good he guy. He's a good guy. Yeah. So he, uh, you know, one thing he he says a lot, and or at least I've heard him say a couple times, is you know. If you're out interviewing in an organization, um, you know, you should really take a to get a job there. You should take a look around at all the people and and you should say, you know, what are they like? Because guess what? If you if you work there and you stay there for a long time, you're probably going to become more like them. Right. Because that's your comparison set. And that's uh, you know, that, that can be a very strong influence on your norms, your behaviors, yours, what your way of thinking. So, you know, find a good group. Be careful about who your comparison set is. Um, finding mentors and role models. Yeah, that could be a great way to use this in a positive way. Yeah, so my friend Tom that lives down the road for me, he's one of those guys that's seen every movie, knows all this stuff. And he's telling me something about The Sopranos that I thought was pretty interesting. Apparently, people became so infatuated with Tony Soprano, he, he, which was not his goal at all. Like, Tony's supposed to be a mob boss who's despicable the way he cheats on his wife, like Ed, the way he's a bad dad, all that stuff. But it was people romanticized Tony Soprano. So towards the end season, he just kept trying to make him worse and worse. So people would fall off of, so don't compare yourself with those kinds of people. You can't romanticize the kind of stuff that ends up being bad for society. And it's funny I never knew that because I stopped watching a few seasons before the end of it because I was like, these guys are a bunch of sociopaths. Mm -hmm. Get me out of this, this stuff, right? So <laughs> don't, if you're in an organization that's unethical, right? Maybe you just got out of college, you needed the job. So, oh no, get out of there as soon as possible. You do not want to build up those habits. Ben, I'm sure you've seen this in the military. I've seen where there's like a bad company commander 
mm-hmm. and some like brand new, you know, bright eyed, bushy tailed lieutenants go there and it's like, oh no. And then you see those lieutenants later and they're horrible because they've, they've compared themselves positively to like negative trait type stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So be careful about who you're comparing yourself with. You know, when we look at downward social comparison, um, this is where you're looking at uh, people or groups who are perhaps doing worse off than you. That that really shouldn't be your foundation for how you feel good about yourself, right? But I don't the think data you... shows what? The data shows that people that have downward social comparisons get a jolt right. of boost of self-esteem. Yeah, so that is, sometimes they do, right? And, uh, you know, you could have some potentially healthy, I suppose, feelings of gratitude from that and so forth. Uh, but I just don't think that that's really the the healthiest way to go. Um, there are better ways to to build a good sense of self. And I think part of it is about figuring out who you are, your own identity, and, and really trying to make that um, a rock solid um, platform on which to build your life. And we talk about this a lot in these episodes, this idea of differentiation. That's where you can be in relationship with others, but not infected by them, right? So if, so we're just like, well, we've got upward and downward comparisons. So there's positive effects and negative effects of each of those. How do I surf that? I'm telling you, you got to unplug from that. And if you stand on your own two feet, and decide who you want to be as a person, then the whole landscape becomes opportunity for you. Oh, cool. I'm going to take a little bit of gratitude from here and have some hope and inspiration here. Oh, here's a key skill and mentor I'd like. That's great. Hey, that's that's really bringing me down a little bit. You know, that person's more of a frenemy than a friend. So maybe I don't want to call them for a happy hour on a Friday. I I could rather be by myself than infect myself with that kind of stuff. Or I'm around that kind of person and you say, gee, Jim, you seem to really make a lot of negative downward social comparisons. What's going on? <laughs> Are you okay? Right? Do you see? All of a sudden, you know, when you can differentiate and stand on your own two feet, that is the mast you can hook your sail to and go anywhere in this world and be successful. You're not going to be drugged down. Those social comparisons that might flit through your mind, you're going to focus on those things that are helpful for you. And you're just going to leave behind those things that are harmful. You know, another thing that I would suggest at the individual level is, let's say you don't have a good group of mentors around you. You're surrounded by folks who are, you know, not people you would like to compare yourself with. Uh, You can always have, you can build and have kind of these virtual types of uh, relationships, quote unquote, right? You could have, so my buddy Greg Hyatt, and Greg, if you're listening, hey out there, you're awesome. Uh, but he introduced this idea to me. I don't know where he came up with it or where he heard it. I don't know if it's original or not, but this idea of having a virtual advisory board, right? If you were going to have a virtual advisory board, any people living or dead that you know or don't know, who would you put on it, right? You know, would you would you put Leonardo da Vinci on there? I don't know, right? That type of thinking can give you other ways to think about and compare yourself and maybe inspire yourself um, to do better and and not get in this um, other type of, you know, just comparing yourself with your friends on Facebook type of routine. And, you know, having been a professional musician um, early, uh, earlier in my life, 
I remember a lot of people like when their records weren't making it or they couldn't get their product launched, you know, they'd be devastated. So much of their identity was tied up and maybe what they could achieve, some kind of social comparison. You know, it's like, man, you're in, you're in Nashville. You're probably top 5% of guitarists that are out there. And, but there's only like room for so many artists that can make all this kind of bank. But when you, when you first got your guitar, did you, were you only happy if you were going to be famous at nine, 10, 11? No, you just like, you put the distortion on, you harass your parents with loud, clangy punk music, whatever. And it's awesome. Life is good. But when you get your identity wrapped up in some kind of externality, you have only control over what you can do and how you develop yourself. So let's say basketball is your thing. And you try and try and try and try. And you literally give it your all. Have professional coaches, all that kind of stuff. And you're just not good for the NBA. Are you going to put away your basketball and never play again? Why? You had so much joy from basketball. You love it. So what? You're not LeBron or whatever. You know, it's great. Let's say you're a project manager in a corporation. If you don't manage the biggest project ever in the history of everything, are you not going to be happy because you're so obsessed with social comparison versus just getting really good at your craft and being an artisan for whatever it is you do? Yeah, yeah. So I think then when we think about this at the level of being maybe a leader, I think this is where you should watch out for each other, watch out for people on your team, seeing if they're doing some of this. Right. And uh, because it could derail some of your team members growth if they're doing this type of comparison in a negative way. Um, and we'll talk about kind of how this might play into uh, pay and benefits a little bit later. But I think as a leader, you need to be thinking about the fact that people compare themselves with each other when it comes to rewards. Right. So, you know, how you praise employees, how you uh, recognize performance within a team. Um, people do recognize and they notice this type of behavior and they might compare themselves with how you're doing that with everyone else, right? In fact, I, I would wager that they probably do. So you want to make sure that you're being fair and equitable in your treatment of everybody. Yeah, a bad management styles to come in. It's like, look at Filson. Why can't you guys be more like Filson? Filson, you're the only one on this team worth a darn, you know? Like, and now everybody's demoralized. And they're like, man, if the rest of your team was so horrible, why'd you hire them? Yeah. Right? How? What if it's well, not and they them, all probably, you, they all, you know? <laughs> they're all going to hate Filson then, too. <laughs> right? Not... You, you, how social comparison can derail the cohesion of a team so quickly. It's like a cancer. And it's not that it's worthless. Like, hey, Filson does this really awesome. Guys, Friday afternoon, we're going to spend that time seeing what we can learn from him. Maybe he can help us so we might do that better, right? That's a little bit different. Um, hey, Katie, you really do this awesome. Let's get, you know, those kinds of things. Be careful because leaders don't realize how followers take their words. You know, they, they say, hey, maybe we should do this. All of a sudden, your whole team is scrambling to do that. And it was just like an offhand remark that you made. Like, whoa, 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 what are we doing? So. At leaders, you got to watch out for social comparison. And if you see that it's happening and it's negative, 
you you need to take that person aside and have a conversation. Yeah. Well, and I would also suggest that it's this might be something that's hard to notice, right? And so because it might be just be happening inside people's brains. And that's where your job as a leader is to create the conditions such that if people are comparing themselves, that it's that it's a more uh, reasonable type of comparison, right? That, oh, you know, if they see me rewarding or praising this one person, that it was truly justified, right? So maybe we now move and talk a little bit more kind of things at the organizational level, um, some implications there. One more thing I want to add on the, the leader's level. No. Is, is <laughs> no, <laughs> we're going to organizations <laughs> now. No. So like I had this one NCO that it's, and I've had similar situations out in the corporate world, but I'm, I'm thinking about this one first sergeant that was getting ready for sergeant major. And he was literally 10 steps above his peers. I mean, he was killing it. And so he'd come rolling in when it's time for me to give him his review thinking, oh my gosh, my first review is going to be awesome. And cause his, previous raider anyway i ended up doing a review for him before i got to set out my expectations so i i used it as a time to review and to set expectations and so the first thing i did was said hey i see it man you're easily 10 steps above your peers here and you can see he's loving it and i'm like yeah man it's like some of this stuff's got to be really boring and he yep yep and so i went through the review sheet yep top block here top block there, more top blocks. Great. Now let's talk about your plan for next year. He's looking at me like, what? You know, cause he's had a whole career of being awesome and everybody telling him he's awesome, which is awesome. And I said, listen, you haven't developed these skills yet either. You've been resting on your laurels because you're like in a, in a pool of people that can't touch where you're at. But what I have holding against you is you're not upping your game. You've been at this certain status quo of game for a while now. So just because you have different people and they can compare, you know, setting aside that thing to where like, listen, if you've got a job here, it's because I value your contributions. And yeah, okay, compare a little bit. That's fine. But let me tell you about my clear expectations for your growth and your performance over this next rating period. And and that can help tee those conversations, tee your team dynamic up to a let's all help each other reach our individual goals rather than ha ha look at me I'm better than you. So now are we allowed to move on to the organizational level? Yeah, let's go to the org level. Okay, Why not? yeah. So one one thing I hinted at earlier is that you know at the organizational level with this idea of comparison, um, I think one key implication has to do with pay and benefits. Right. And this this goes into this whole idea of equity theory, um, which has to do with how we compare ourselves with each other. Uh, you know, there are a lot of different ways you can think about employee motivation, but this is one of them. And it has to do with how we look at our uh, inputs, right? what we bring to the job and what we get out of the job. Right. We might bring a certain level of effort, a certain level of education, a certain level of knowledge and skill, and we may get out of the job. Certain things like a level of pay, level of respect, um, autonomy in our work, all those types of things. But here's the thing. We don't just stop there and think, oh, here's what I'm putting in and what I'm getting out of it. We look around and we see what everybody else, or we make judgments at least, about what everybody else is bringing to the job and getting out of it. And when we perceive that the ratio of our inputs and outputs 
differs from the ratio of someone else's inputs and outputs, we start thinking, man, gosh, that person has 10 years fewer experience than I do and, you know, gets the same pay as I do. Like Lots of women for many, many, many years rolling their <laughs> eyes right yeah. now. Yeah. yeah, the pay disparity between men and women for doing the same job. Yeah. So, oh I mean, gosh. in that type of situation, what that does is, though, is because that social comparison occurs and they're sensing an injustice for right reasons, right, in that example, uh, you know, that motivates behavior, right? I might reduce my inputs. I'm going to be like, well, you know what? I'm going to kind of space out for a while every day and I'm not going to work as hard. Or I might demand more outputs. I may go say, hey, you will give me a raise, right? Uh, a whole bunch of different things can happen after that. But I think what this implies for organizations is, hey, Know that people are comparing themselves with each other. And so what you should do from a pay and benefits perspective, particularly, you know, from pay perspective is, um, you know, realize that people talk. You need to be fair with your pay. Uh, you need to make sure that people understand the compensation system. Um, because if you don't, then you're just kind of leaving it up for interpretation. And um, and you may really perpetuate some inequities that that shouldn't exist. Yeah, bias will bite you when it's not systematized. So you you got to systematize that stuff because that's how much you love your people. That's why you'll do it cuz you love them, right? Um another thing is championing championing diversity is so important here. Right? Ben, how tall are you? Uh 6 foot 1. Yeah, I'm 5'9". Like it doesn't matter how hard I try. I can't will myself another five inches, right? So that would be like, well, Ben's taller than me, right? Like that, that some of these comparisons just break down. But, you know, if we had to play limbo, I might beat you, right? right. That There's different skills. We don't expect a lineman to go beat somebody, an Olympian who runs marathons. 26 miles at the fastest speeds ever, right? We have different strengths. And if you build a culture at the organization level that embraces diversity, and I'm not just saying the typical diversity drums that we're banging that are important drums, but I'm just saying, hey, listen, this guy has this strength. This person has this strength. You know what? This person is not good at their job at all. But we just like them around because everybody's happy, even during bad projects. So <laughs> that person gets a job, even though they don't do anything. You know, these kinds of things where we look at diversity of strengths, weaknesses, we're all on our own individual journeys and we all need it. Yeah. Right? Every organization can't hire all rock stars. They try to. And maybe you're a small firm, 10, 20, 50 individuals. You might get close. But if you're an enterprise organization with 20, 50, 100,000, you're going to have to make mission with regular people. Yeah. And regular people have awesome things about them and some skills that they're just like, ah, I'm, I'm okay at this part. Yeah. You know, another way in which organizations can use this idea of social comparison um, for the good of the organization is really identify what your values are as an organization and have some specific behaviors that align with those values and then take it a step further. And, you know, that's where you can start to find examples of this in your organization 
and and suggest this as a comparison set, right? Um, we do this a lot in the Navy and, and as well in other aspects of the military, I'm sure, where we deliberately talk about our history, right? It's very clear who the, the villains and the heroes of our organization are. And those stories that we tell become part of our culture because they communicate what we care about, what's important, what types of behaviors are expected, supported, and rewarded. And when we do that and we start giving people something to compare themselves with, you know, we're going to help people uh, rise to the occasion, I think. And um, at least providing those examples and being more intentional about it as an organization can't hurt. Let's do a concrete one, Ben. Maybe use one from the Navy or one we've used with a client. Like, give an example of a value and maybe some of the behaviors that would support that value. Um, okay, so for example, um, do you want me to pick like a, a, a naval hero or something? <laughs> right, yeah, but, but we just told CEOs and stuff, orgs, hey, yeah. like have a strong set of values and then list those behaviors. So I don't know, Ben, pick it. Look, you're like, we're doing it live. Yeah. Pick a value and some behaviors. All right. So, well, I guess in, in the Navy, we have core values of honor, courage, and commitment, right? And so we, we talk about these things a lot. And um, only recently have we really started to uh, try to operationalize them, right? In terms of saying specifically what they mean. Now, when we talk about various people and what they've done, we, we oftentimes will have conversations about how does this, uh, you know, relate to the Navy's core values? Um, however, you know, recently what we've done in the Navy is try to identify what we call signature behaviors, right? That align with those core values. Um, so for example, you know, we have the, the value of honor, right? And a signature behavior that we talk about that goes along with honor is treat every person with respect, right? That's an honorable thing to do. Another honorable thing to do is take responsibility for my actions, right? Those are behaviors that map to values. Another one, courage, right? Hold others accountable for their actions. Intervene when necessary, right? Those are behaviors that then go to a value. So there's an example for you. And, you know, we've done this in organizations where we've helped them collectively identify some values and then said, okay, well, what does that mean behaviorally? What would it look like if people are doing that and doing it well and have some concrete behaviors that go along with it? Because then you could start to have a strategic kind of human resource platform, essentially, where you can start saying, these are the competencies we care about. These are the things we can start talking about when we're recruiting people, when we're interviewing people. Maybe we even integrate that into our performance management. Imagine that. Yeah. One of the interesting things that I see happen when we do this, Ben, is, you know, every everybody doesn't always know the values. Values? I don't know. Let me walk down the hall and look at the plaque again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But if they do know the values and it's something like integrity, when we ask that, what does that mean? And we can ask like the CEO, we can ask management, we can ask lay people within the organization. Tell me what integrity looks like in your jobs. And the answers are all over the place, which means you've just outsourced your definition of your values to the collective, mm -hmm. whatever, and whatever people feel like. But as, an, as a, somebody that has organizational remit, if you can take a time to say, what are the concrete behaviors for each type of role you know, that 
this is how we live these values in that role, you have something that that's much more granular that people can actually execute on. That's how you think about those values. That's right. That's right. So today on the Indigo podcast, we've talked about social comparison. We've talked about what it is. We've talked about kind of how it operates and some of the outcomes of social comparison. And of course, we've talked about some implications for people, leaders, and organizations. Thanks for listening to the Indigo Podcast. If you like this podcast, please consider helping us by rating us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, telling your friends about us, having us on your podcast, or mentioning us on social media. Our website is www.indigopodcast.com where you can access more information about us and this episode. Thanks again, and we look forward to talking with you again soon.